Friends, our scripture continues from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, leaving off where Rogers stopped, continuing now at verse 10. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. One at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, on this most holy of days, we ask your blessing upon us and upon these words. Amen. We spend a lot of our time searching, searching for answers, searching for the missing puzzle piece, that one you know was in the box, but now it isn't, or sometimes searching for the piece that never made it in the box. We search using the internet. We used to search using card catalogs. I loved card catalogs. And databases, right? And want ads. Remember searching the want ads? Now, we still search at the grocery store. I, I don't know about you, but there are those items that I never really know where they are in a grocery store, and they're never where I think they should be. And so we search. We search sometimes when we don't even know what we're looking for. We're searchers. We're seekers, hunting for things that are lost. Sometimes looking for new things, for that just right thing. The, the just right thing that then becomes the old right thing, right? Only to re be replaced by a new right thing. We search for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Sometimes we're searching for contentment. We search for things we'll never find. The pots of gold at the end of the rainbow. And sometimes all this searching can leave us a little empty. Sometimes we search with others. 
Sometimes we search with others when they might even know where to find what we seek, right? Those little clues, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, ooh, colder. Sometimes people guide us in our search. Other times it's the people we love for whom we are searching, like a game of hide-and-seek, but, but the ones we seek might be separated from us not for play, but separated through the cruelties of acrimony or pain or death or illness or distance, separated by fading memories, separated by sorrow, separated even through a divergence of commonality. And yet somehow we search. We search for resolutions, for completion, for satisfaction. We're all searching. Friends, for what do you search? For what do you long? Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb in the darkness. The darkness of the morning. She comes to do the work of one acknowledging their loss. We don't visit tombs unless we're willing to acknowledge loss. Unless we're willing to acknowledge death. Even if we're not ready, even if we don't want to be there, but we don't go there for any other purpose. So she goes under the cover of darkness, searching for what she has lost. But more than that, she's searching, she's seeking to be able to do something in the midst of her grief, a task in the midst of sorrow. So really, she's seeking for that body. She arrives at the tomb while it's still dark, and she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. You see, what she searched for, what she was confident that she would find there, wasn't there. And so she runs away. She runs away, and she searches and finds her friends. She finds Simon Peter and this other disciple. Did you notice how he's described, this other disciple, the one that John writes was the disciple that Jesus loved? She runs away from the tomb and to these disciples, and she tells them that some unnamed and unknown they have taken the body. And she says, we, we, you and I, we don't know where they've taken him. And so the search becomes this strange mix of a, of a desire to confirm what she's said, but also a search for this body of Jesus that's missing. In her darkness and their darkness, both the literal darkness of the early morning and also the darkness of their unbelief, right? Their unbelief, their, under, their, their lack of understanding of what Jesus has told them over and over again. He's told them that on the third day he would rise. But in their darkness, they don't understand it. And friends, I just pause for a moment to say that for each of us, if we ever have trouble with understanding who God is, who God is in our lives, who God is for us, what this whole resurrection business even means, what Easter means, first of all, you have 50 days to figure it out. But second of all, second of all, 
these ones who had been with him the longest, these ones who were closest to him, they didn't fully understand it. They, they didn't understand it, period, at this moment. So Mary, she continues to search. And these two disciples take up the search as well. They run. They run to the tomb, searching, running toward the tomb to see for themselves that someone has taken the body. There's a foot race between the two. The gospel writer is clear about this. They're running together, it says in the text. And then suddenly, did you catch this? The disciple whom Jesus loved outpaces Peter and arrives first. He gets there first, but he doesn't go in. This disciple appears throughout John's gospel, and some say it's John himself that he's writing about himself. This disciple, this one who is so eager all the time in all of, of the texts throughout John's gospel, so ready to listen to Jesus, he's portrayed quite tenderly throughout the gospel. But in his eagerness to outpace Peter, that tenderness is shown but it also comes through in this moment, this moment where he stops at the threshold and he can't bear to go in. And so it's Peter who arrives and he goes in first into this empty tomb, searching. Searching again and he finds the linens that wrapped Jesus. He finds the burial linens folded and placed to the side. And we're met at this point in our text with nothing, with silence. Simon Peter is searching. He's searching for the body of his friend, his teacher. And instead he finds an empty tomb. He finds folded linens. And there's silence. We don't know how he felt. We never hear in this moment how he responds. But then the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, dares to cross that threshold into the tomb. He confronts his own fears or whatever kept him from doing so. Whatever kept him from doing so, despite that compulsion to outrun Peter, whatever kept him outside, it fades. Because he's searching. He enters. He sees that the signs of death are not in this place. The tomb is empty. The cloths are empty even. They're laying there, right? And coming into that tomb, searching, and empty himself, coming into that tomb in the darkness, coming into that tomb in unbelief, John writes that that disciple sees and believes. Sees and believes. Sees the emptiness. And in the emptiness, he believes. He doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't see the one who loved him. He sees the truth and believes. It's in his searching. It's in the frightening searching of crossing into the threshold to face his fear that he comes to this moment of understanding. And this isn't new. This is what we see throughout Scripture. This pattern, pattern of unbelief, of partial belief, and then ultimately 
a belief that doesn't have all the answers, that doesn't have it all figured out, that doesn't even have the level of certainty one might long for or hope for or aspire to, but a belief that comes from being willing to step into the threshold, to behold the wonders of an empty tomb. And so these disciples leave. Says they go home. And we find ourselves in a sudden turn back at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. And she's standing there weeping. She's weeping at this place where she can no longer find what she came that morning seeking. And so she does what so many of us do when we're faced with the despondency of loss. She stands. She stands weeping. She stands weeping in the darkness. Again, not just the darkness of the early morning, but the darkness of her spirit, the darkness of her unbelief which seems to overtake her. She crouches down to look into this empty tomb, perhaps hoping to find that she was wrong, searching for the body. Maybe it got moved. Perhaps someone returned it since she was there. Perhaps her eyes deceived her. She's looking again. It's what we do when we're stunned. We look again. When we're confused, when we're fearful, we look again. She looks again, and now there are two angels there, and they're asking why she's weeping. She repeats what she told those disciples. She says, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where he is. Then John writes that she turned around. She turned around. And she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was him. She turned around, she turned around, and Jesus looks at her and asks her that same question the angels asked. Why are you weeping? But he then adds, whom are you looking for? There's something about that turning around. Mary's turning around. Mary's turned toward Jesus. She's so focused on her emptiness and loss, her feeling trapped in the darkness of unbelief. She's so wrapped up in those empty wrappings in the empty tomb. She's so absorbed until she turns around, turns away from those things that were holding her. She turns and faces this man that she thinks is the gardener. And she thinks this man is the one who has taken her Lord. She shifts now from saying that some unknown they has taken this man. And she looks at this man and she says, If you have taken him, tell me where he is. In our unbelief and in our periods of darkness and doubt, we sometimes turn to the very God we may have seemed to have felt as though we have lost, and we ask that question, what have you done? What have you done? What have you done with my dreams, my happiness, my health? What have you done? But you see, friends, there's something in that turning around. There's something in that turn for Mary, that turn away, that turn away from the sources of her unbelief, that turn toward this man who it turns out is her teacher, her friend, her Lord, her turn toward him. The Greek word that gets translated as turn is metanoia, metanoia. 
It's the same word that gets translated and we, we, we have as the word repentance. Repentance. Or even conversion. We don't use that word very often, right? This one word, a word that describes those two disciples, and then now here describes what Mary does physically. She physically turns around, literally. But she also experiences a conversion. A conversion from unbelief to belief. As she turns her back to the emptiness of the tomb. And she turns her body and confesses her sorrow and her longing to this gardener. It's a conversion, a turning, a return toward Christ. Who in that moment when she confesses her need, where is my Lord? He is then revealed to her at the whisper of her name, Mary. Mary. In so many ways, her conversion isn't a conversion of faith. It's, it's not a conversion of faith. It's a turning. It's a turning toward Jesus even when she doesn't realize it, when she doesn't know she's turning to Jesus. Her conversion is one of turning from the sources of her sorrow and fear and turning instead to this one, to her Lord, who is standing right there waiting. Jesus is standing right there. And so often in our lives, we don't understand it. We don't know it. We're so focused on searching the empty tombs of our lives instead of turning, converting our perspective, expressing our longing before God, confessing to God that we are indeed searching, and then allowing God to look us in the eyes and to call us by name. Allowing God to call you by your name. Allowing yourself to be known and seen and loved and accepted and cared for. And these are hard things to do. But friends, Jesus is there meeting you in your grief, in your loss, in your confusion. Knowing your burdens and sharing your joys. The empty tomb isn't our Easter story. It's when we turn from the empty tomb. When we turn from the empty tomb and we're met by the risen Christ, our Easter comes when we hear Jesus calling us by name. When we see Jesus in the ordinariness of our lives. You see, though, even then, even when Mary knows it is Jesus, and she knows the risen Lord has conquered that tomb of sorrow, even then, she wants to hold on to him, to keep him. And Jesus says something strange. He says, no, don't hold on to me. Go. Go. Like Mary, the risen Christ sends us into the world as partners with God. Jesus sends us out to fulfill our calling to be a witness of our conversion, our turning, our returning, our metanoia, our experience of God's mysterious way of being present in our lives. 
God's strange way of doing a new thing in us over and over and over and over again. That is what resurrection is in our lives. And so Mary does go. And again, she turns. She turns to leave Jesus. She returns. She goes back to the disciples, to her friends, her fellow followers, these others who are confused and lost and filled with sorrow. She goes to them and she says, I have seen the Lord. She was searching. And while in many ways it was in her searching that she found Jesus, it was also in the surrender of her search in her turning from that empty tomb that Mary found Jesus, or that Jesus found Mary. Jesus found Mary weeping. Jesus found Mary searching. And friends, when we are weeping, when we are searching, may we be ones who turn toward Jesus, May we share, may we confess to Jesus our longings, our hopes, our fears. And may you look into the eyes of Jesus and may you hear him call you by name, his beloved child. And may Jesus take your tears, your pain, your loss, your grief, your suffering. May Jesus take all of it, all of who you are. And may you, like our foremother and first messenger of the resurrection, may you be ready to tell the story of your metanoia, with the exclamation, I have seen the Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.